Welcome once again to Benchworld, a podcast designed to provide you with knowledge, experiences, tools, and ideas about venture capital, entrepreneurship, and finance. Interviews and conversations with top-notch global experts will take place every week, hosted by me, Hector Shibata, Director of Investments and Portfolio at AC Ventures, a global corporate venture capital fund an Associate Professor for Entrepreneurial Finance and Venture Capital. Don't forget to follow us for more content on Medium, LinkedIn, and Twitter as ACB underscore BC. With no more to say, hope you enjoy this episode. So today it's going to be about, as I told you, the retail. Retail, we believe it's a time machine. And in order to talk about retail and the future of retail, we have these four great speakers. And let me introduce the speakers. So the first one is Hernan Casa. Hernan is a managing partner and co-founder of Casec Ventures. They are one of the largest VC funds in Latin America. They have invested in more than 75 companies. In addition to that, Hernan co-founded Mercado Libre. Mercado Libre is one of the largest technology companies in Latin America. And he also, he's part of, of, of many, many organizations like Procter and, and he, he previously was in Procter and Gamble in other organizations. And he has an MBA from Stanford and he graduated magna cum laude in economics from the University of Buenos Aires. Thank you for being today with us, eh, Hernan. Irad, Irad, thank you. Irad Bengal, he's co-founder and chairman of CB4. It's a startup backed by Sequoia Capital, and it provides granular productivity analytic solutions to retail organizations. Irad, he is also a full professor and head of the new artificial intelligence and business analytic lab in the Faculty of Engineering in Tel Aviv. He's also a visiting professor in Stanford University. He had many, many other previous uh, work done. And he has already written four, four, he has already written four books and published more than 100 scientific papers and patents. Thank you for being today with us, Irat. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you. We also have Lior Prosor. Lior is a general partner and co-founder of Hanako. Hanako is a, is a BC fund uh, based in, well, he's based in New York, but they, he also have activities in, in Israel. Uh, Lior has invested in leading categories in Israel, like in transportation, insurance, uh, and many other companies. Uh, prior to co-founding Hanako, he was a general partner at Elevator Ventures Capital. He holds a LLB and LLM uh, from, the, from the university in Israel. So thank you for being today with us, Lior. And then we have Manfred Reitia. Manfred, he's a partner at Jungle Ventures. It's a Singapore-based fund that invests and helps build technology, build technology category leaders in Asia. Jungle invests across early stage startups and has more than 40 investments in Singapore, Indonesia, India, Thailand, Vietnam, Australia. He's based in Asia. And he's a business leader with more than 23 years of experience in, in world-class financial services companies. Thank you for being with us, Manfred. So as you can see, we have, we have a poker basis in order to kick off our, our webinar today. So let's get started with questions. 
So the first one is from the beginning of 2020, we have seen the world turn inside out. We have seen millions of people shelter in place, mm. which translate into some major shifts in consumer behavior, as well as a sense of urgency regarding digital transformation for companies. Which do you believe will be the technologies and business model that will prosper? And which do you believe will those business models that will disappear? So maybe, Hernan, we can start with you. Well, thank you. And the way we look at this is obviously, on the one hand, you have the health crisis that we're all facing. Uh, it has been very challenging and has made us all very humble, I believe. But then in terms of the business world and, and changes around technology, what I think is that we're not seeing a, a new paradigm. We're not seeing uh, something new emerging. What we're seeing is everything accelerating at an amazing pace. So it's not so much about a transformation. It's, it's all about an, an incredible acceleration. So all the trends that we're seeing around commerce, around education, around healthcare uh, have been uh, happening. But really they were happening at a slower pace. And now, and I think a, a good summary of what is happening is that famous chart that has been around of e-commerce penetration in the US. But it took us like 20 years to get to slightly above 10, 15% of penetration. And then in, in, in eight, 10 weeks, we, we moved all the way up to 30 something percent. That 30 something was going to be reached at some point. So we're not changing so much the final picture. What we are changing is when we, we, we get there. So if you ask me what has changed of, of what you thought was going to, was 2030 going to look like? I think nothing, or not nothing fundamentally. Uh, what is happening is that probably that 2030, maybe it's with us in, in 2025. So I think that that is the, the biggest change I, I see. Okay, great. Thank you. Thank you, uh, Hernan, for, for the answer. So, Leo, what's your perspective? You know, investing in Israel and investing in the U.S., what would be your perspective? Yeah, so I think, uh, first of all, very nice to be here. And I, first of all, I agree uh, 100% with, with Hernan. Really, we're not seeing, call it paradigm shifts. We're seeing a, a massive acceleration of, of existing trends. But within that, I think what's interesting now is that, call it this acceleration has put into the forefront, and this is called it some of the things that we're sort of looking for opportunities in. It's put to the forefront things that, uh, you know, were, were already happening, but now call it the tools to deal with them are not really there. So what do I mean? For example, uh, you know, the fragmented consumer attention, right? So, you know, there's a, a limited amount of uh, Facebook ads that one can consume and also react towards. So, you know, putting aside the fact that, you know, there was a general sense, especially in New York, where I'm from, a general sense of, call it depression and not really wanting to call it to consume other than, of course, uh, call it essential goods. But I think a general sort of sentiment that, you know, you the, the, the 
you know, the click-through rates, the engagement is now dropping dramatically. And I think that's something that brands are going to have to deal with, call it, uh, you know, uh, sustainably. This is not just for now. Everyone's moving online. Every budget's moving online. If you know how sort of most of these platforms work, whether it's Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, Instagram, TikTok, it's all about audience. And at the end of the day, Audi is targeting the same audience as a makeup brand. And fighting for that consumer attention, I think, is one of the, uh, one of the, the, the biggest challenges now that call it everything is shifted online so quickly. And I'm sure we'll talk about it later, but I think that's also probably where there's the most opportunity, call it in traditional retail, not as call it a traditional and then omni-channel, but rather how does the retail experience, how does the brick and mortar support this consumer attention or uh, creating this consumer attention uh, that, that, again, if you're just looking for online, makes it very, very difficult. So that's, I uh, call it high level, how we're, we're seeing the world right now. Oh, great. Thank you. Thank you, Leo, for the answer. So, Irat, as, as an entrepreneur, as a co-founder of a company, uh, do you share the same perspective or do you have different, different views? Uh, I share some of this perspective. I agree with uh, Leo that uh, we see more online activities. <clears throat> At the same time, I think that we cannot ignore the fact that, uh, you know, the COVID-19 is in a way a, back, a black swan of the decay. I mean, uh, it affected uh, uh, all of us. And you can definitely see uh, very radical changes. Uh, some changes are related to the fact uh, that uh, um, any trip to a store is now considered uh, as a risk. So people tend to buy online and they tend to go only to uh, uh, re retailers uh, where they, they see uh, the product as essential. So you can see very high uh, sales peak in groceries, drugstores, supermarkets, And at the same time, you see uh, other retail uh, sectors like uh, fashion uh, that are now considered as a luxury. I think that, any, you know, uh, COVID-19 made um, each one of us more aware of, you know, the limitation and the essence of uh, being at home. And I think that uh, it affects those uh, uh, retail sectors where, You know, consumption is thought as uh, something that is uh, nice to have, but not uh, a necessity. Uh, and I think that um, having that in mind, a specific um, trend that I see now uh, in the analytics world, which is uh, a thing that uh, we do in CB4, is that, uh, of course, in such a black swan event, historical data goes out, uh, out the window. It is irrelevant. Uh, all those reports are uh, no longer valid. You cannot do a time series analysis because uh, everything changed. Uh, and you have to take uh, different uh, solutions and different approaches to analyze those trends. So I'll stop here. I have a lot to say about the analytics, but maybe we can explore it later. No, great. Thank you. I guess that's a, that's a real situation that you need to consider that the past won't predict the future maybe today. So Manfred, you, you bring a different perspective being in Asia, being in Singapore, overlooking those markets. So what's your view? What, what are your thoughts about this? So yeah, thank you for that. So look, 
there's lots which we can talk about, but I think the Uber things which I will leave behind is that as we walk across Asia and as we talk across various portfolio companies, I see things evolve. One of the things which is very clear to us is that, you know, a lot of people talk about the financial crisis. We believe, and as a lot of you guys have said, that this is unprecedented. A financial crisis was one part of the economic environment not working, which was the financial markets seizing up. But it had to some extent limited uh, impact in terms of consumer demand, consumption behaviors, etc., other than potentially shortening of income. But here we have a case where literally large swaths of human activity and human consumption, etc., has been shut down. So I think that is something which we need to consider. The other thing which we also need to consider is that how do countries come out of lockdown, right? So it's not as easy as saying I've locked down everything and then how do we come back? I think there is going to be a lot of hits and misses. We have experiences where markets, uh, Singapore, where I'm based, uh, we locked down, we opened up, we saw a resurgence over a period of a month, month and a half. And then we again went into almost a 45 day to a 60 day shutdown period again. So that is something which we are expecting everyone, irrespective of whichever business which you are in, to be prepared for. The second thing, focusing on retail, we see retail differently. We see retail in different buckets. We see retail as groceries. We see retails as fresh. We see retail as restaurants. We see retail as uh, you know consumption, which is luxury items, etc. And to be very clear, the current impact and the long-term impact across these categories is going to be incredibly different. So there is not one size fits all for each one of them. The second thing which we would also put down is that there was also a bunch of stuff which was happening before in terms of the way people were consuming or the way retail was being looked at. So for example, there was heightened demands in terms of increasing or different consumer expectations. Consumers expected radical transparency. Where is the goods coming from? I want to know what's in it. I want disclosures. There was changing mindsets. Earlier, family size had largely a very similar set of, let's say, a breakfast item which they would buy. But now within a family, there are different members of the family who have different choices. So there was a fragmenting of consumer behavior, right? Then there was channel expansion, which we all tend to focus on. So there is mobile first on everything. Potentially, the concept of everything can be delivered. And then there is a more operational impact in terms of, you know, new tech business models. You know, how does machines, how does smart data impact us in terms of retail? And also the growth of the traditional non-retail models, which is there, you know, the Amazons or the, uh, or, or the Flipkarts or the Lazadas of the world, which is more at home in, for example, in Asia. And then there's also shifting of profit pools from online into offline, escalating costs, et cetera, which is there. So, so look, we can go on into that, but I think the Uber point is that, look, uh, there is no one size fits all. Every market looks at retail differently. If I were to talk about impact on retail in the US or let's say EU, it will be very different from the impact of the way retail will be felt across in Asia and in India, Indonesia, and will be very different from the way it would be, let's say, in China. And the fact that there was already change which was coming earlier, and I think this is just going to accelerate the change. So. You know, there's lots which I can talk about and I'm sure I'll get a chance later on to talk about this, but that's the way we look at it. So the Uber theme is not one size fits all. Geographies is going to have a different impact. And the third is the acceleration towards change has actually gone up multiple folds. And I think that's a point which one of my panel members made earlier. Thank you. Thank you so much, Manpreet, for your insights. And we are sure uh, that we will be touching those different challenges throughout the, the length of this webinar. So right now, the next 
this question is addressed mainly to our uh, VC manager fellow uh, uh, people here in the call. So perhaps, obviously, this the, the COVID-19 is, is the black swan scenario of, of the decade. And with this scenario, there are new challenges surging day by day for different founders around the globe, specifically uh, re uh, regarding, you may say, liquidity issues, how to onboard new clients, how to deal with the uncertainty of what's going to happen tomorrow or next week. So in that sense, uh, what would you say, for example, if a retail startup, startup is struggling to survive due to the current circumstances, how can investors be of help? And perhaps we can start with your insights, Hernan. Sure. Um, so yes, certainly these are challenging times. And I think that uh, many different things have happened over the last several weeks. Uh, at the beginning, probably uh, everyone went into panic. Uh, and uh, whatever plans companies had for 2020 were basically written off and, and everyone started uh, rewriting those plans. The, the, the interesting or challenging thing is that uh, those plans have been rewritten already many times. Uh, so so uh, some companies saw uh, a dramatic fall in, in demand over the, the first uh, couple of weeks when, when we went into a lockdown. And, and then a couple of weeks later, they saw their demand going to the roof and they had to, instead of cutting down, they had to move into trying to scale up the operation. Uh, some others that so initially a relatively small decline, then they realized that that decline was continuing and that their demand went uh, really down. So it's almost a case by case uh, and it's, it's a scenario that has been changing a lot. I, I wouldn't say that much of or probably the last two months, but during the, the first month, the first month and a half, it was really volatile. Uh, and we ended up having somehow three big groups of, of companies. And again, generalization is, is very difficult here because everything is happening. But just for the sake of trying to organize the conversation, we have one group that saw a very significant decline in, in revenues. And the typical examples are companies in the hospitality industry, companies around maybe transportation, low transportation of people, and obviously, those have seen demand go to really down. Uh, then we've seen companies in e-commerce, companies around telemedicine, companies around remote education that have seen demand go to the roof. So, so the challenges that those two groups are facing are very difficult. Different one is trying to survive, as you were asking, and the other one is trying to scale up uh, in in this context, but also trying to guess what portion of this demand will remain here and what, what, what portion will eventually and maybe next year evaporate. And then you have most companies are in the middle. So they've seen uh, some changes, obviously from the way they operate because everyone is doing home office. Um, but, but on top of that, maybe you are a FinTech company and your e-payments division is really seeing terrific traction. But then your, your lending piece 
is being more conservative, more careful because uh, in, in kind of times of, of crisis, you want to be more careful about the, the amount of outstanding loans you have. So, so those numbers have gone down. So a little of everything has, has happened. So what, what entrepreneurs can do uh, first, and I think that by now it's very obvious, but, but realize that this is something totally unprecedented. It's not business as usual, uh, that you have to recalibrate probably every two weeks and, and, and try to understand uh, where you are. Try to, uh, first of all, survive. Uh, and if you are a company in the first group, that group that has seen demand go down significantly, uh, really see if your investors can support you with, with a bridge round, if you can call in capital from some loans that you may have outstanding, et cetera, and, and really survive. And, and, and then once you, you can survive, start thinking about what alternatives uh, you have, what, what alternative sources of of revenues you may have, maybe what you were doing at the core of your business is suffering, but maybe you can do something adjacent to it that will have some, some demand in the, in the current reality and then see if that is actually something that you want to maintain long-term or it's just something that will allow you to, to survive or not. So, so again, I think it, it's first and foremost, obviously taking care of your employees, your communities, etc., then making sure that you survive. And once you, you, you are there, start thinking about uh, how you can improve your, your, your situation. Some changes might be permanent. Some changes might be just uh, things that you do by now to try to go through this uh, tsunami. Uh, and some companies may realize that uh, they cannot even survive or that their business does not make sense anymore and, and, and might need to think about more radical changes like pivoting the business or doing something uh, different. Great. Thank you. Thank you so much for your insight. And obviously, you're correct. This times for people, for companies to, to make the scenario planning and obviously uh, start acting upon those scenarios and recalibrate every two weeks depending on how the situation develops. Absolutely. So, Leo, in, in Hanako, how are you? Um, how did you manage all this situation with your portfolio companies? So, uh, again, uh, just sort of uh, taking off from where Hernan left off. At the end of the day, right? You have uh, when you look at a portfolio, you have the ones that, as he mentioned, were you know benefited tremendously uh, from this uh, from this crisis. Whether it's companies in the world of telemedicine and uh, uh, and work from home or remote training areas like that. And in that sense, essentially, it's, it's, it's allowing the company, that's how I, we viewed it, with this level of growth, not to have to also deal, for example, with fundraising and immediately sort of allow them to grow. And some of these businesses have, uh, call it, uh, had, you know, 100% or 150% year, year over year growth in, in two months. But that's, I call it, the, in many ways, you know, growth and, and fast scale is hard, but that's the easy part of the portfolio. The hard part of the portfolio, as Arnon mentioned, are the companies that we have genuine questions around the long-term viability of their business model. So I'll give you an example from, from that. So one of our investments is into a company uh, called Showfields, which uh, essentially is a new retail concept which enables direct-to-consumer, mostly direct-to-consumer brands, but also uh, legacy brands that want to connect with a different type of uh, consumer, more sort of Gen Zers and Millennials to connect call it in a more experiential, call it environment. 
in many ways, I think it, it you know, we call it pre-COVID. We all believe that this is called the direction that a, a call it offline retail was going towards very omni-channel, very connected, a, a, a pure com- connected piece of your stack online and offline. But obviously when you get, call it a government order that the store is going to shut down without knowing, call it when it's, go- it's going to reopen, I think the job of us as investors is really to be, call it a constructive sounding board to the founders. I'll give you an example. How much do we need to cut? How much do we need to furlough? What are the assumptions that make sense? It's never easy to fire people. It's never easy as an entrepreneur to realize that you have to cut your dream by 50, 75% for the next quarter. So trying to be a constructive sounding board. And then the second piece is asking, call it, and, and actually having a real conversation on the, the tough questions, right? If you were to open a business today, forget about the legacy. Is there, call it a, a real future, and does it look the way that we envisioned it before for brick-and-mortar traditional retail? And if it does, what does it look like? Because, you know, the, the instinct of any founder is, yeah, this is even better than before. We could probably get, uh, you know, leases at 75% cheaper than we could in the past, which is true. The question is, if can you does call it the current environment, not today, but in the next year or two, support building a business on top of that. So I think that's call it, the, 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 call it our main job and what we've been spending most time on is trying to call it within this, pardon my French, uh, shit show, uh, ask constructive questions that help navigate founders to the right direction and, and making, you know, uh, you know, pre- decisions that in other times would have been felt very heavy, making these decisions, call it quickly uh, and, and with as much data as we can. Great, great. Good. I think that's approach every VC partner should, should take upon their portfolio companies. So Manfred, what, what, what did the strategy to uh, take on your portfolio companies during this uh, whole crisis? So at Jungle, we have a very firm investment thesis, which is what we like to call we built to last. So I think from its very nature, we are always incredibly focused on what we call unit economics, scenario planning, etc., which is there. So I think that helped to some extent is that that is something which we always are focused on, which is particularly our go-to market. Is it the right? Is the pricing right? And also, more importantly, in terms of unit economics, as well as, you know, the LTV, the various costs, et cetera, which is there. Uh, so what we did was very quickly focused on what we're, what I call the three R's, right? So the first was in the first month, month and a half, was more in terms of restructure. So we looked at eliminating anything between 25 to 50% of the cost. Uh, we cut investments, which had more than six months of ROI. We cut that out. Then we started replanning and reimagining the full financial year by saying that, look, we assume demand is not going to come back for the next 12 months. So let's assume for, a, let's plan for a 50% revenue drop. And more importantly, let we do whatever is possible. So we did that. And then we also put in some control process in terms of from a board perspective, we became incredibly Anything which was a 5% deviation in terms of cost, we made sure that we made ourselves very comfortable around that. On the other hand, uh, again, across the portfolio companies, uh, we are lucky that most of our businesses are tech first, which are focused mostly in terms of online commerce 
or in terms of providing digitization services for SMEs, or uh, they are predominantly software as a service kind of a platform. So I think most of the businesses did see some drop, but as you can well imagine at the top of the funnel, I think a lot of interest started coming through. So it became more in terms of e-commerce is how do we fulfill? How do we make sure logistics is there? How do we make sure that the demand is obviously there, but do we have the enough supply? So I think the focus shifted on towards that. And in terms of the software as a service and more in terms of digital services, you also recognize that the top of the funnel doesn't necessarily translate into revenue. So let's be deliberate in terms of how do we move them down the marketing funnel from a marketing qualified to a sales qualified lead, etc. So I, I think that is what the perspective is. The good news again from an Asia perspective is we are seeing demand come back. Uh, you know, most of my markets have opened up uh, other than Singapore and India, which is still in the process of opening up. So we've actually seen demand come back. Uh, we've also seen consumer confidence come back. So I think, again, I go back in terms of, uh, and also more importantly, business confidence has come back. So whereas we had planned for 12 months, but my suspicion is that we'll see green shoots in terms of some economic recovery, etc., happening in terms of com uh, consumption coming back. But the reality is from a full year perspective, we are assuming it's a bit of a write-off, right? So, so I think uh, it's more about making sure that we have enough cash, use this time to kind of refine and do a lot of our piloting, focus in terms of product and tech, and ensure that we're protecting that and investing that. So that's probably what it has been. Thank you, Manpreet. On that same line of thought, I read, if a startup is, if a startup is at risk of disappearing due to the current circumstances, how can they pivot or which recommendations can you give them in order to survive from the startup point of view? From the startup point of view? Are yeah. you asking about the startup? I think that, yeah, you I know, mean, uh, again, Leo was mentioning it, uh, uh, it's also, always a difficult position uh, as a startup uh, at, at those uh, um Circumstances, of course, for a startup, cash is the king uh, at those uh, cases. So um, the uh, startup founder should uh, forget uh, everything and focus on having enough cash. It means, uh, of course, reducing uh, uh, the burn rate. Uh, and I think that, uh, you know, eventually uh, many startups learn that uh, – you can actually cut uh, manpower and still be uh, efficient and functional. Uh, at the same time, I think that uh, part of the challenge uh, and part of the, uh, again, the opportunity to uh, uh, um, reduce the burn was uh, the fact that people worked from home, um, which reduces a lot of... Uh, uh, not only uh, the direct uh, cost for the offices, but uh, work became uh, much more efficient. Uh, I think that uh, the startup should be focused on their um, main market that they think that they can uh, serve under these circumstances. So, for example, I can tell you that in CB4, we decided to uh, uh, take uh, the pipeline and... Uh, focus only on uh, grocery, drugstores, supermarkets, uh, while uh, taking uh, many of the other um, uh, potential customers that were even in uh, quite uh, advanced stages, 
take them off right now. Uh, and uh, this is the old picture. I mean, a very uh, specific focus um, and a, an efficient uh, operation uh, and sticking to your cash. This, this is, you know, the rule, rule of the thumb uh, type of uh, actions that a startup should take. Thank you. Thank you so much. So uh, for Ernan and Lior, I don't know if you can comment to us. Uh, it, I mean, in most countries are now uh, restarting their economies. Businesses are reopening. Um, you know, uh, not everything as usual. But during the shelter place uh, period, we saw major shift onto the online retail. So which do you think will be the the offline retail that will survive? Or do you think this offline retail will disappear? Um, or what kind of uh, elements in, in the business in offline uh, will, will remain? There was already a transition from offline into online. Let's also be very clear when we talk about retail, we see the storefront, which is basically the stores and your go-to-market, etc., which was being replaced by technology. But all the other fundamentals in terms of the stock, supply chain, warehousing, etc., largely still remain the same. With the tech usage is more in terms of how do we make it more efficient, etc., which is there. So, you know, within that, you will see three or four buckets. I increasingly see adoption rate for online groceries, online, uh, for example, essentials, etc., go up significantly. So that will happen. Uh, I think the acceleration has already happened. There is something what we call adoption rate. So I think the fact that people have been locked in, whether they like it or not, they've now got used to it. The smarter companies have got better in terms of being able to service it. There is also a take in terms of what we call contactless economy. I think there's a huge focus in terms of being contactless. That doesn't necessarily always mean delivery. We've seen in Asia workarounds where people are saying that, you know what, order online, come to my store, I will leave the stuff outside. So what I call curbside delivery, right? So increasingly, we are seeing innovative models like, like that being adopted. So look, I am in no doubt that the acceleration will happen. We've already seen the impact of traditional large format, maybe single brand retailers getting impacted and shutting down. We've seen J.Crew, et cetera, in terms of apparel, et cetera, that is happening. So you will see the impact in terms of apparel and luxury far greater. You will see traditional retailers shut down. Do I see luxury shutting down and moving online? No. People still want to go to and, and walk into a Louis Vuitton uh, showroom and buy one because it is no, you're not buying a Louis Vuitton. You want the world to know you're buying a Louis Vuitton. And you want the world to know that it's an experience. You like going out there. You like seeing the people. You like having the coffee. You like feeling good. And you like walking out with that nice bag, you know, whatever that packaging material which they give you. That's not going to change. But everything else in terms of fashion is going to change. Right? Let's also not forget that implications in terms of supply chain, which we all seem to forget, are huge. Uh, companies which got very efficient in terms of supply chain management. So, for example, the Levers and Procter and Gambles which would hold maybe two days of inventory in the whole supply chain was suddenly out of business in Asia because they, frankly, they were not able, there was demand, but they were not able to fulfill it. So those people are now going back and saying that, okay, I need to hold more inventory and I also need to hold it in multiple points. So it is not that I have one node servicing a state such as Texas. I, I now need to have inventory in multiple points to be so that uh, my, my disruption on supply chain gets impacted, which means that the supply chain cost will go up, right? 
but they will also have now started talking to us and in some of our businesses by saying, can you help me save costs in other ways? So for example, uh, if we have a field sales force, can I automate the field sales force? And then can I eliminate the need for a field sales force so that I can use that cost to kind of build out my business, right? So again, I keep going back that I think the right way to look at it is use a geography lens and use within retail, the segment lens. I will see food move towards more food service. I would see uh, foods, uh, you know, a lot more cloud kitchens, etc., which is happening. But do I see luxury dining shutdown? No, that will continue. Do I see uh, clubs and pubs shut down? Yeah, the people are going to have a different view in terms of that. Do I see health change significantly? Absolutely. So people will now wonder whether it makes sense to join a yoga studio or a gym, etc. I don't think so. That's going to be something which people will be very excited about. Will there new categories be created in retail? Yes. I think immunity and wellness is going to become a huge focus. Uh, I would see alternate medicine start coming in and playing a huge play in terms of here is something which can help build your immunity levels, etc., which is there. Uh, I would see, for example, large format retailers uh, probably get broken down into smaller boxes and speciality. That is, I'm not saying that's going to happen everywhere, but at least in Asia, there is a move towards saying that you know, a Walmart kind of a under one roof, everything is available, break it up into buckets. So there is one which is speciality for retail uh, in terms of groceries. One is more in terms of electronics, etc., which is there. I think anyone which is offline in electronics deserves to disappear and they will. Uh, you know, look, it doesn't make any sense. Why the hell do you have a, you know, you know what, elect, what TV which you want to buy, right? So I think that is going to die. So if anyone of you is invested into a you know, offline retailer, I would immediately say, shut it, get your money, run. Uh, so you will see a huge segment around that. Do I still see omni-channel play? Yes. We have a big business of ours called uh, you know, Pomelo, which is a fashion brand. It has done incredibly well in the crisis because it's an omni-channel play. They don't use offline as a retail point. They see it more as an experience slash pickup point. right? So innovative models like that will work. Will large format retailers die out totally? No. I think the smartest investor is Walmart. You know, if you look at the moves which they have made in terms of during the crisis, I think hats off to them. I think they will survive and they will do incredibly well because they are playing to their strength is I have inventory, I have buying power, I can get cheap costs. Now let me bolt on solutions. For example, they just announced something with Shopee, uh, with Shopee right? It's amazing, right? It's, I think it's one of the best things which Walmart has ever done. So, so don't, don't discount large players such as Walmart. I think they are smart. But if, uh, uh, but if you have, you know, the, the Saks Fifth Avenue or, you know, things like that, uh, you know, which are purely apparel, etc. Uh, I honestly think that they, they don't really have much of a future. So that's my shot. You know, I, I tried to cover a lot of points, but this is something which I feel very passionately about. In one way, you feel sad, but in the other ways is that, look, economic crisis forces capital reallocation. So in some ways, a lot of these old models were sucking up capital for whatever reasons, because let us not forget that there is an amount of sentimental capital which also gets invested. But like the last financial crisis taught us uh, that, you know, the crisis forces the inefficient out. And to some extent, the capital gets reallocated. And in the last financial crisis, you know, no one had heard of Facebook or Amazon in terms of valuation models. But post the financial crisis, suddenly you had Amazon and Walmart and everyone else which was there. Same thing is going to happen out here. I think the question remains within the larger group is that do we have the ability to pick the winners, right? And I would say that anyone which has a huge focus in terms of tech, 
I think intrinsically has uh, you know a, a, a good way of winning because that's reality. That's going to stick. Leo Hernan, do, do you have any 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 few words on this, or what you do you do you share the same perspective as Manpreet? Yeah, I mean, Manpreet did an, uh, a pretty awesome job, sort of covering the uh, you know the, the the full field. I'll give sort of two two maybe sort of uh, interesting uh, add-ons because I generally agree with everything he said. First of all, I think we try to differentiate between sort of the short term uh, and call it the medium and long term. So when people start talking about a contactless economy, yes, there's a lot of fear out there right now. But if you look at sort of the, uh, the, the pictures uh, from the uh, Spanish flu, everyone was walking around with a mask. Uh, and, and lo and behold, five to six years later, no one, uh, no one was walking around with a mask. And between us, I doubt that most people, if anyone who's listening and most people on this panel really even knew what the Spanish flu was before we, before COVID came in. So I think human nature and human memory is actually much shorter than we think. If you think about sort of the core demographic of what we call the experience economy, uh, it's call it the, the, the Gen Zers, the millennials, the fear factor for them is significantly lower. So if you ask me sort of, are they going to return to normal behavior? I'm not sure that tomorrow, I'm not sure that in the next year, but if I had to guess three to five years out, Absolutely, sort of experiential travel will come back. Uh, call it the, 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 the restaurant scene, not only sort of the, the fine dining, but the healthy, fast, casual. Uh, I would bet on that. I totally agree with Manpreet around sort of health and, and, and fitness. I can tell you already, even in sort of hard hit states uh, across the U.S., you're seeing sort of, uh, you know, call it occupancy rates for, for gyms and Orange Theory and, and, and boot camps, all of those sort of back to not 100%, but call it 80 to 90%. And what are we, 30 days into the, the reopening in the, call it the, the most open of states in the U.S.? So I think human behavior, at least call it for, for the core spending demographic that isn't sort of in a, uh, call it a preconditioned uh, and, and, and sort of higher risk uh, group, I think they will come back in a lot of areas uh, to normal. On the other hand, on the flip side, I 100% agree. There's plenty of business models and call it the department stores, maybe the, and the electronic stores. They're, they're, they're great examples. Essentially, they have no real reason for, for, for existence other than their legacy and, and their brands. It's not that if you take that model and you flip it online, it makes any sense. You don't need a department store online when you're online. You know, your availability and your ability to discover and browse doesn't need a department store. Essentially, the web is your department store and you can go wherever you want. So, yeah, I, I mean, in that sense, there, there's definitely areas that sort of this will be called the final kick in the can for them. But I think sort of we, we try to sort of uh, really hone down and look at sort of what are, you know, what are the areas that we think are long term and what are short term. I'll give you one example that is long term that I can't tell you the exact implications of, but, but I think is interesting. I think work for home, or at least a larger portion of the population working at least some part of their time at home, that's going to last for longer. And that has commerce and retail implications. Uh, sort of what do, you, what do you want to have now in terms of casual wear at home or more fitness equipment at home or sort of tools to surround, call it your home office, which are now becoming, would become a significantly more major part of your life. How does that translate into commerce, for example? So that's that's sort of the differentiation that we try to think through sort of short-term, medium-term, and long-term in terms of uh, impacts on populations. 
And I think they are just jumping on. I'm sorry, I just missed that point. I think you bring up a great point in terms of nature of work, right? So they, we, we do see a lot more businesses, particularly in software and technology, actually putting a stake in the ground by saying, you know what, 50 or 60% of our workforce is going to be working from home, going ahead in a, in a, in a long-term basis. That has implications in terms of a few things. How do people travel? Right. So is there going to be enough travel in terms of commercials, travel, et cetera, which is there in terms of going into work? Not really. Uh, is there going to be a need for these huge central business districts? I don't think so. Right. That will change. Now, think through it. That also has implications on where do you retail? So traditionally, you always have luxury brands based out of, let's say, CBDs. But if you really don't in 10 or 15 years time have a CBD or a central business district. So where do you put your retail store? Do I see malls, uh, you know, survive over a period of time? Absolutely not. I think they will get repurposed and probably become warehouses or some sort of the other. Uh, do you do you do I see the need for huge office buildings? I think people will be scared of sitting around in confined environments over a period of time, right? So look, I, I may sound a little bit more futuristic, but I think you know it depends upon what you want to believe in. The reality is there is change; it's happening much faster. But you have to be very nuanced rather than making very broad stroke assumptions in terms of the way things are there. The reality is people will still buy, people will still consume. The question is where and in which manner. That's it. We have new technologies going on, like 3D look or buy with, with new shopping experiences, living streaming or other offline shopping experiences. What would see the trends that you see in this rise regarding e-commerce? Uh, well, several trends that are uh, all focused on the challenge of retailers now. You know, uh, again, uh, I think that uh, if you look at uh, the active retailers now, uh, you see that uh, actually sales went up, but uh, loyalty went down. In a way, people, uh, and, and by the way, we conducted a survey uh, with uh, you know, grocery and supermarket uh, shoppers, more than uh, a thousand shoppers. And uh, what we found that uh, the most important part for them is uh, the availability of, uh, of uh, the product. Um, so, uh, in fact, loyalty went down because if you don't find whatever you want, you will leave uh, that store. Uh, and uh, availability became the most important part. Um, and this is why many, many startups uh, are focused now, and you see a lot of trends around, uh, you know, last mile delivery, supply chain, uh, shelf monitoring, um, you know, uh, uh, multi-dimension uh, um, anomaly detection on uh, on product sales and, and stuff like that, all in order to increase the availability. It, uh, it's something that you see uh, uh, as, uh, as a perception of uh, reality. So, uh, you know, if, uh, for example, you talk about Whole Food and, uh, you know, they have uh, 55,000 product on average, uh, but for the, for the shopper that goes there, uh, there is only two dozen items that are important. So if uh, all old food is quite messy and you cannot find anything, but uh, you find those uh, 
dozen products that he looks for, then everything is great. If uh, 99.99% is perfect, but he cannot find, you know, one or two items in the list, then, uh, you know, he will say the perception will be that uh, I'm at all food, but I can't find anything. So the, the essence of availability uh, is critical. And again, uh, a lot of uh, trends are around uh, improving the availability at stores, uh, localizing uh, the assortment and uh, uh, localizing the planograms at stores because we saw very different demand patterns in uh, different uh, locations. Uh, and this is a whole uh, a new area of uh, uh, challenge uh, under the COVID-19 circumstances that uh, drives a lot of uh, innovation and, uh, and new solutions. No, great. Thank you. Thank you for, for the answer, Irat. That's very, very useful. So maybe, you know, just in order to, in order to wrapping up, so obviously there's a lot of uncertainty in terms of what's going on right now. So maybe each of you can kind of let us know what would be your predictions for the future of retail. A couple of things that you are seeing that you haven't mentioned. What, what, what would be your prediction if you have a, you know, if you, if you have to predict right now? So maybe we can start with you, Arnan. Sure. No, I think that many pieces of what our thinking is have been mentioned uh, today, but again, obviously the world is never black or white, but, but again, for, for the sake of the discussion and to try to illustrate what we think, I think that big picture, what we believe is that convenience and convenience could be price, could be assortment, could be time to get uh, something, etc., will be vastly, vastly, vastly dominated by, by online players. So I think that offline players that are trying to get some traction there are going to be disappearing. And then the other is experience. And experience is many things. Could be uh, in, in the dining industry, could be having a nice meal with, with friends or family or experiencing a particular cuisine from a chef you like. Or, or could be, I don't know, go, you go to a market and, and you try to pick your tomatoes because you enjoy the feel of finding that right tomato for your recipe or for your salad. Different people will have different experiences, and I believe that experiences will be dominated at least for some time. I don't know what will happen in, in 10 or 20 years, but for some time, they'll be dominated by offline players. Again, someone mentioned today, I think it was Manfred. Now, if you enjoy going into a Louis Vuitton store and walking out and experiences, it's not what you're buying, but it's the whole show that, that you feel that is being played around you. And those kind of experiences, even though we're advancing with 3D technology, you can put on goggles and try to simulate that, that, that you're doing that in the store while maybe you're, you're somewhere, else, somewhere else. I think that, that is still a big, big gap. So, so again, if my, my, my big guess, and it's very aligned with what everyone has been saying, is that convenience will be dominated by tech players. Experiences will be dominated by by offline players. Okay, great. No, thank you, Hernan. Leo, what will be your predictions? 
Um, again, I think most everything was said, but if I had to sort of to pick, uh, you know, three uh, areas of opportunity, uh, one uh, would be the, uh, call it the return of the, uh, call it the return of restaurants, call it uh, significantly faster than what uh, people think. Uh, I think that sort of, uh, you know, the, the current crisis did not change. I, I saw a really interesting graph. There's been, call it, I think, for the, since, uh, since the end of World War I in the U.S. until 2020, we've had a steady increase of uh, eating out versus uh, eating at home. Obviously, we've seen a, a change in that in the last three months. I think that sort of the, the, the consumer behavior will generally go back uh, to, to normal. Of course, it requires sort of, uh, you know, more confidence in, uh, call it, not getting uh, infected, etc. But I think call it as a general trend, that's a trend that's going to continue. Uh, and, and, and I see sort of the, the, the restaurant business, uh, again, maybe with, the, with different permutations, as Manpreet mentioned, with more cloud kitchens instead of, uh, you know, uh, physical spaces for every single one of your restaurants or your chains. But generally, sort of, I see uh, uh, the, you know, that side of the business uh, coming back. Moving on with that, and this is all related to sort of the, you know, the call it 18 to 35-year-olds, I think, going to continue to behave somewhat normally. I think, you know, the, the world of, uh, of fitness in terms of brick and mortar is going to continue uh, to, to thrive and continue on the pace that they were on before. On the other hand, call it if you want a prediction, I think that it's crazy that Hulu, uh, Amazon Prime, Netflix, not, not one of them has fitness-related content online. I predict uh, acquisitions in the space by the big guys because if I'm tuning into Netflix uh, every single day while I'm in my... Uh, call it while I'm at home, there's no reason why I shouldn't be consuming my at-home fitness content uh, uh, there uh, as well. Uh, so yeah, those are, call it the two uh, maybe interesting predictions that we didn't speak about. Great. Thank you. Thank you, Lior. Uh, Manpreet, what would be your, your predictions? Look, I've spoken about everything, right? But I think all of us have touched upon that and I firmly believe in everything which has been said. But the two things which I would leave out there, and it's, it, and it's un, the unfortunate outcome of the crisis. One, I believe, is the rise of nationalism. So do not underestimate the impact of the rise of nationalism, uh, which can have in terms of what people want to consume and buy. Uh, as we speak uh, recently, over the last four or five days, there actually has been, for the first time, the largest scale violence in, on the border between India and China. So, you know, look, that is reality. Right. We can't ignore that. Uh, so I think uh, you will see on certain consumptions, people preferring local and self-sufficiency. So the one or two areas which we have now looking at and we are potentially very close to investing is what I call food technology. Right. So there are companies out there, particularly in the Middle East. And I know from my friends in Israel, they would also know that uh, is people who want to say that, OK, I can find a way to make Singapore self-sufficient in terms of fish. And here's, I'm going to use technology in terms of making that happen. So I think stuff like that, which promotes uh, mass production, I think to some extent will happen, but we'll have to balance it off in terms of that, in terms of uh, 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 the fact that there is also going to be a rise towards more what I call ESG, which is environment sustainability and this thing. So I think we have to now figure out, you know, which way the thing will go. So, so those things is something which I would also be very conscious of. 
but look, it, it is going to change. It is going to be drastic. It is going to be accelerated. Some of the things which we have spoken about may come true and some of the things may still surprise us. Yeah, great. Thank you. Thank you, Manpreet. Irat, what, what will be your predictions or your conclusions? So uh, more will be shifted to the online, of course, uh, specifically in those, uh, I will call it uh, luxury retail sectors. Uh, this will be, of course, affecting supply chain solution because now we're talking about a huge supply chain uh, and we'll see many uh, new solutions around, you know, uh, smart transportation, smart uh, transmissions of uh, items uh, um, to, the, uh, to the house of the customer that become uh, really a hub. We'll see more virtual reality around it. We'll see more personalized Uh, commerce that will be uh, backed up by uh, new AI solutions. Um, for example, understanding uh, emotions of uh, customers um, remotely. And uh, brick and mortar uh, will not die. Uh, it's still something that even millennials like but will change. We'll, meet, we'll see much more smaller stores, much more personalized stores, which a specific um, um, uh, assortment and planogram that fits the local demand, which of course increase again the complexity of the supply chain and the need for uh, sophisticated AI tools. Uh, in a human-centric view. So uh, this is how I see the, uh, the future of uh, commerce. Great, thank you. Maybe just, just one word from you guys. Are you, are you investing right now? Are you looking for investment opportunities? Leo, yes or no? Yeah, absolutely. We're, we're absolutely right. investing. The question is uh, in, in, in what, as we discussed, and right now, call it all of our attention is on areas of uh, which we define as, call it positively impacted by, call it the current macro environment, which pretty much means that we focused, call it on a, a digital transformation for the, for, for the enterprise. We've made, uh, we've done two transactions uh, in that space. Uh, food tech uh, is another one where we've done uh, a deal during this uh, time in the space of uh, in the space of alternative proteins, uh, which we discussed, uh, Hector, um, and logistics uh, and e-commerce infrastructure. So we've really narrowed. Yeah, so we've really sort of narrowed the uh, the, the the investment uh, theses, but yeah, we're absolutely still deploying. No, oh, great. Thank you. So Manpreet, are you investing? Yes or no? Yes. Uh, we've just cut three checks over the last month. Uh, you know, we put in close to about $50 million worth of investments in total. It's mostly edutech. It's food tech. It's a SaaS. Uh, we've also pumped in uh, in terms of follow-up rounds into some of our businesses. Look, at the end of the day, let's not kid ourselves. We are capitalists, right? So, you know, we see opportunity, we will invest. That's in our DNA. We can't help it. Great. And Hernan, the same question. Are you, are you guys investing? Yes, we are. We are. We've closed a few investments over the last few weeks and plan to 
continue investing. So yeah, certainly we are. And maybe the last question for each of you, how long it's gonna take the recovery? How, how many months are you expecting uh, for the recovery to happen? What will be your expectation? Uh, I don't know, Irat, do you have an estimation? About, sorry, about what? How many months is gonna the recovery, in how many months the recovery will happen? It's gonna I take think that uh, we'll have um, a, a tough winter in a way because we'll see, uh, you know, the pandemic uh, um, raising again with, uh, you know, influenza, and then it will uh, be reduced in the next uh, in the next year. So I think that, uh, um, you know, starting uh, in um, I mean, we will see starts uh, even now, but uh, uh, in the winter, we'll have some uh, slowdown, in my view, and we'll see again uh, a much better trend uh, in, uh, you know, March, February uh, next year. Uh, Leo, any, any time frame? Yeah, so I'll give you, call it my view as a citizen, not as an economist, and definitely not as an epidemiologist. Uh, I'm I'm actually more, uh, call it optimistic uh, in nature, and I think uh, recovery will be quick. But on the flip side, which I think more important as a VC, and when I'm talking and when I'm saying talking and strategizing with every portfolio company, uh, we want every company to have at minimum 24 months of cash, optimizing towards 36, or call it I'm optimistic as a citizen, uh, I have to be, we have to be very, very careful and uh, call it cautious uh, when we're managing uh, businesses. So uh, we're, we're definitely planning for a worse scenario than what I have in my head. Great. Hernan, same question. I have here my crystal ball. So let me <laughs> see what it says. Uh, I think it's really, really hard to predict. Uh, I think that we're already getting a little bit used to the new reality. So things are recovering from certainly the low point we had at the end of March. The question about when are we going back to, to normal, whatever normal means, I can tell you what I tell my daughters uh, when whenever they ask me, hey dad, when are we going to do another nice vacation? We used to travel a lot, uh, a few times a year, and obviously we have already canceled uh, plans that we had for the last few weeks and, and we've cancelled all the ones we have for, for this year. And when I tell them it's probably our next big trip is going to be in January 2022. So that, that gives you my answer. <laughs> oh, great. Thank you. And Manpreet, what would be your expectation? Okay, so I'm going to give you an economist view, right? So because I tend to be a bit of an economist, right? So I'll break it up into three buckets. One, China. Uh, which drives a lot of growth. So the recent data I've seen from China, electricity is back at 90% towards peak in terms of consumption. Oil is at 95% consumption. Jet fuel is at about 65% consumption. So if I just look at these three data points, it tells me China is back. If I look at Asia and I look at, let's say, South Korea, Singapore, Hong Kong, Thailand, I, if I look at all parameters in terms of broad, I look at electricity, oil consumption, jet fuel, because it tells me it's a kind of a substitute for economic activity. It is back at almost normal levels, except jet fuel is the only one which is lagging. Uh, if I look at India, I think it's still significantly down. If I look at Europe, it's still significantly down. If I look at US, it's now coming back. So if you ask me, 
uh, I would see Asia come back in maybe two quarters. I would see India come back in four quarters. I would see US come back potentially in three quarters. I think uh, Europe will take longer. Uh, the other thing which I look at it is that given all the economic stimulus and the printing of the money which is going on, I do see an environment for the next 10 years where there's going to be high fiscal deficit, high inflation, which technically means growth. So that's the way I look at it. So look, I like inflation because it drives growth to a large extent. I like governments which print money because it drives economic activity. That's because you're not from Argentina. <laughs> Argentina has been that since 1910. I should talk about my city days at some point. No, great. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, Lior. Thank you, Ira. Thank you, Manpreet. Thank you, Hernan, for, for being available today. It's great to have all of you in different places of the world. And thank you for the for the attendees to this first very to very first webinar. And hopefully you will you will you you have already enjoyed it. Hopefully you will join our newsletter and please be tuned for future events. Thank you very much, everyone.